If I haven't met you yet, my name is Matt Pineda. I'm the high school pastor here at Mount Pleasant, so I have the opportunity and the privilege to work with your 14 to 18-year-olds, and I'm happy to be with you uh, this morning as uh, we go through the message together. I want to start off by telling you a little bit of a story of about uh, when I went on a mission trip in 2012 with about 18 high school students to Mexico City. Uh, this was before I came to Mount Pleasant, and so I took a group, and we led a VBS alongside a local church, and it was a really great trip. But the part of this story that I need to tell you is up to this point, up to my, uh, my three long years in student ministry, uh, I, had, I had been privileged not to have to deal with any types of injuries yet, right? No hospital visits, barely even had to hand out any Band-Aids. I mean, everything has been good so far until this trip. Uh, on the very first day of this trip, uh, I had a kid who was playing soccer with some of the kids in the neighborhood, and they were just having a good time, and he severely sprains his ankle. I mean, the kid hurt his ankle so bad, he wanted to go home. We took him to the emergency room, and they cast his whole leg. I mean, they just cast it for a sprained ankle. Um, and so that was awesome, and so we called home and had to explain all that, and he stayed, and it was wonderful. And so I thought, man, there goes my streak. Been to the emergency room, let alone now emergency room in Mexico City, so... Um, I thought, how could this get much worse? Well, two days later, another kid decides, you know, I think I want to show off a little bit. I think I want to show off in front of the girls. And so he decides that the best thing, the best way to show off is for him to, to jump over a gate. And this is what he decided he wanted to do. And so uh, we had a little free time, and I wasn't necessarily in the conversation of whether to jump in over the gate or not, but uh, what I see is him backing up and deciding he's going to jump over this gate. Now, this kid wasn't uh, the next Michael Jordan, okay? He was, he, was, uh, he was awkward and just not very athletic, but he decides he wants to jump over this gate. And so he goes for the gate, and he jumps, and he reaches his pinnacle, and guess what? He didn't jump high enough, right? I don't know if you saw that coming or not, but he didn't jump high enough. And his feet clip the bottom of the gate, and his momentum takes him forward, and he lands face first onto the ground. There's blood, there's dirt mixed with blood, kids are crying. It was just a nightmare. The kid got a broken nose, and it was just a wonderful experience for me. And so uh, the best part of this story was this, this boy, he was the, the senior pastor's son, okay? And so that was a fun conversation over the phone uh, of what your, your boy did, and so... Um, I tell you this story because today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about we're going to talk about a gate, all right? We're going to talk about a gate. And we're going to talk about how to get on the other side of that gate and do it in a safe way. And so, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter seven. That's where we're going to be uh, today. And I've got to be honest with you as we start. Uh, our message today is is really important and it's really serious. Um, and it has nothing to do with what I have prepared or what I'm going to say. It has everything to do with our text. And so as you know, we've been going through the book of Matthew for some time, and we've been in the Sermon on the Mount uh, for a little while as well. And we find ourselves in the middle of chapter 7. We're going to be in verses just 13 and 14. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read these two verses like we do every week, and then we will get going. So this is Jesus speaking um, as a part of his Sermon on the Mount. In verse 13, he says this, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Thank you. You guys can be seated. 
This is the beginning of the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I think if, if uh, Jesus was preaching here, he'd probably tell Brian to come on out because we're about to close things. Uh, but Brian, don't come on out yet because we're not there yet. But uh, this is where Jesus is heading. We've been in chapter 5 and, and, and we've worked through chapter 6 and now we're in the middle of chapter 7. And Jesus has said a lot of things and this is the beginning of the end. He's closing, he's closing it up. This is his closing argument. And the ancient Jewish temples had many entrances to them, and some were tall and broad, and some of them were small and narrow. And so it was obviously it was easy for people to walk through the big, tall, beautiful entrances of the temple, and it was nearly impossible to go through some of these small entrances without stooping down and brushing your body against the walls. And so Jesus' audience would have kind of identified with what he was talking about here. And I'm sure you've probably heard these verses before. Maybe you've never really studied what they meant. You've probably heard about the narrow path and the small gate. You've probably heard that. But have you ever really considered the context of what Jesus is talking about on the Sermon on the Mount and what leads us to this today? That's what we're going to talk about. Could this verse mean more than Jesus is the only way to heaven? Now, I absolutely believe that, but I think there's a little bit more under the service of what is happening here. And so in, if you're taking notes, if you like to take notes, I've got a very simple outline, three points, and they all come from the text. In fact, I think you could probably figure them out if you just looked at them. But the first one is this. The first thing that we notice from the text is this. There are two destinations. There are two destinations. Jesus said the roads lead to two destinations. One destination is destruction, and one destination is life. And which one do you think is going to have a nice view? Destruction in life. Let me make it very clear from the beginning what Jesus is talking about. At the end of your story, when it's all said and done, there's going to be two places. There's going to be one that brings life and one that brings destruction. One that brings death, one that brings life. There's going to be a heaven and there's going to be a hell. Several years ago, there was a pastor, a popular pastor and a popular writer who wrote a book that was about the possibility that hell isn't real and that nobody would spend eternity there. And this was such a popular opinion and conversation that he made it on Oprah, which, you know, if you make it on Oprah, you've done something worth talking about, right? And uh, this then made another popular pastor and popular writer write a book about hell, and that hell is real, and that people absolutely will spend eternity there. One of them was wrong, and one of them didn't get invited onto Oprah. And about 15 years ago, there was a survey about heaven and hell for Americans. And for every American who believed that they were going to hell, there were 120 that believed they were going to heaven. So let me ask you, does this sound like a narrow gate? Does it sound like something only a few will find? Some of those people might be wrong too. When I think about a gate, it not only lets people in, but it also keeps people out, Right? And I hate to begin a sermon this way, but this is what Jesus is saying. There are two destinations at the end of this life. One is heaven and one is hell. And it's of the utmost importance for us to understand and believe where we will spend that eternity. In fact, I I care about where I am going to spend that eternity. I care about where you are going to spend that. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Heaven is a real place. Hell is a real place. Heaven is going to be perfect. It's going to be filled with uh, a restored creation, a new earth. The Bible says it's going to be filled with people, so get used to us. But it's going to be filled with people who are are covered in perfect and perfected bodies. Jesus said there's many rooms, and so there's there's plenty of room for everybody. But as far as the residents of heaven, not everybody will be there. Some are going to end up in another place, a place that the Bible describes 
as a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, a lake of fire, the unquenchable fire, eternal punishment, weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is hell, and it's real. And the Bible gives us a bunch of images of what hell looks like and what heaven looks like. And Jesus says when it's all said and done, there's going to be two gates, and one leads to life and one leads to destruction. And so I work with high school students, and so a lot of times I get questions like, well, what is, what's heaven going to be like? Or what's hell going to be like? Do I really want to go to heaven? Does this sound like a ton of fun, but you know, what's, what's heaven like? And we could talk about what the Bible says and the examples, and sometimes the writers will say things like it looks like a sea of glass, or you know, we, we get these visions. It's because every time we see in the Bible someone talking about heaven, we learn that it's a vision or it's a parable that Jesus has told. And so I often kind of tell students, well, this is what it would be like. Imagine Moses, right? Moses lived a long time ago, you know, several thousand years ago. Moses lived. What would, what would Moses say if you asked Moses to explain what an iPhone was like to the Israelites? Right? What, what would Moses say? Would he look and say, well, you hold it in your hand and you, I think you swipe it and you could talk to people who aren't here and what, I mean, how would the Israelites take that? Say, Moses, you're crazy. What are you talking about, right? This is what it's like to try to envision what heaven and hell are like because it's so far away and it's so out of our distance. The reality is this. There is life and death in front of us, and it's important for us to know which destination we are headed for. But the only way for us to know what destination we are headed for is to know what road we're on. And that's the second point of our message today, is that this, there are two paths. There are two paths. Jesus calls them roads. If, if we know there are two destinations, there are two paths. One of them is broad, and one of them is narrow. Well, what's he mean by that? It's important for us to understand this, because this is really the central part of what we're talking about. And it's really important that Jesus um, exp- uh, says this, because it changes who we are. And the broad road is the way of the world. Okay, The broad road is the way of the world. It is the easy road. It's wide. It's a combination of do whatever you like to do, make your own choices, follow someone else's choices. We've all probably lived the broad road at some point in our life. You want to know how I know that? Because the broad road, it can be fun. right? The broad road, it, it can be fun because it's filled with whatever we want. Whatever we want to be on that road, however we want to live, whatever choices we want to make, Whatever we want to do, that's what's on that road. And so it can be fun. That doesn't mean there's no fun on the other road. It just means the broad road can be fun. Most people are on that road. The broad road is filled with people who don't even know that they're on a road. Filled with people who don't even know what's at the end of the road. They may not even recognize they'll be there. Jesus said, many people will travel this path. Many people will take the broad road. You want to know why? Because it's fun and it's also easy. It's easy. It's not difficult. It's not hard to find. In fact, you can even stumble onto this road and not know you are there. And then there's another road, and Jesus calls this the narrow road. In fact, the second narrow in our text, the first one says, enter through the narrow gate. The second one says, uh, take the narrow road. That narrow, that second narrow, the narrow road, actually translates better into difficult. It's the Greek word, which the New Testament is written in Greek. It's the Greek word tethlimine, which means affliction or distress. It's a word that paints a picture of persecution or trouble. And so I think a better way to say this would be this. Difficult is the road that leads to life. Difficult is the road that leads to life. It's not going to be a comfortable road. It's going to be difficult. So why? 
Why is it difficult? Why does it have to be difficult? Well, let's, let's take a gainer back into uh, what Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount so far. Beginning in chapter 5, all the way to where we are today, Jesus has talked a little bit about what it looks like to be a true follower uh, of Jesus. And so this is what he talks about. So he says things like this. If you have hate in your heart, you're just like a murderer. And nobody wants to be a murderer, right? A murderer is going to be convicted. They're going to be put on trial. It's going to be public disgrace. They're going to be cast out. And actually, they deserve death. That's what the law of Moses said. They deserve death. You take a life, your life will be taken as well. So nobody wants to be a murderer. But Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart, you are just like a murderer. And then he says things like this. He says, if you have lust in your heart, you're just like an adulterer. Nobody wants to be an adulterer, right? If you're convicted of adultery, the same thing is going to happen. You're going to have public disgrace, cast out, and you actually deserve death as well, death by stones. And so nobody wants to be an adulterer. And yet Jesus says, if you have lust in your heart, if you look at someone lustfully, you were just like an adulterer. He says, don't strike back when you're hit. Go the extra mile. Maybe some of these are starting to sound familiar because we've talked about them. Love your enemies and pray for the people who want to kill you. Pray, fast, and give in secret, not seeking reward from anybody. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't judge anyone. And to top it all off, the golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated. Hard. You see, Jesus is setting the true standard of a Jesus follower. Being a Christian, it's not easy. It's difficult. You're not going to sleep your way into the kingdom of God. You won't wander in by accident. The kingdom requires an earnest endeavor, untiring energy, the utmost exertion because Satan is vast and has an army of people around him trying to destroy you all over this world. To let go of the love of sin, to desire to be forgiven of sin, to be delivered of sin, to let go of pride and self-will demands a vigor, an eagerness in your walk. It's hard. This isn't, this isn't for weaklings. This isn't for waverers. This is not for compromisers. And it's not won by deferred prayers or unfulfilled promises or broken resolutions or hesitant commitments. This is for the strong and the sturdy. This is for people who are taking their relationship with God seriously and are not just doing it because it's the thing that they're supposed to do. The conflict inside is often fierce, and that's because you have to let go of yourself and submit fully to Christ. This is the narrow road. This is the difficult road. It's not easy to deny yourself. It's not easy to take up your cross and follow him. It's not easy to lose your life. It's not easy to hate yourself, to say no to all your own desires and ambitions, your hopes, your dreams, and your self-control. It's not easy to abandon everything. It's hard to humble yourself. It's hard to turn from your sin. It's hard to repent because sin and pride and self-will are the truest expression of our fallen self. It's hard work to be a true follower of Jesus. You can't be normal. You can't live this life normal. In fact, Vincent van Gogh said this. He says, normality is a paved road. It's comfortable to walk but no flowers grow. You can't be normal. Well, remember this. The Christian life, it could be hard. I mean, if we truly follow what Jesus says and how he wants us to live and, and have that in our heart and manifest in our life, it's, it's hard. It's hard work, but it's also rewarding. 
I mean, maybe, maybe you know that in your life. It's hard to truly follow Jesus, but it's also rewarding. It's a, it's a lot like parenting, I think, right? So I've got a, a two-year-old and a five-month-old, okay? So in my house, there's a lot of crying. There's a lot of uh, waking up at night. There's a lot of uh, tantrums right now when you don't get what you want. Uh, it, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult as a parent uh, to stay strong and to stay sturdy and to not give in and, and, and to do all that kind of stuff. In fact, my wife and I, we talk a lot of times that, you know, our daughter can be crazy sometimes, right? She'd just be nuts. But then you know, we put her in timeout or something like that, and then she'll smile and give us a hug. And you're like, well, I, I have to forgive you, right? And so it can be hard. It can be hard to, to, to be a parent, but it is the most rewarding thing that I've ever done. I mean, I wouldn't trade it for anything. No matter how hard it is at times, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I think this is how it is to be a Christian. It could be difficult. It could be hard. I mean, if we truly live how Jesus wants us to live, it's, it's not easy, but it will be the most rewarding thing that you've ever done. Everything that Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount leads up to this decision. Which road do you want to take? You want to take the easy road, or do you want to take the hard road? And understand this. If, you have, if you're not following along, what Jesus is trying to say here is this. The road is the way you live. Okay? The road is the way that you live. You see, there are two destinations, life and destruction, and there are two roads, a broad road and a narrow road, and their only way to get to those destinations is the road that you take. So that leads us to this truth as well. The, li- the way that you live, it matters. The way that you live matters. I, I think that you know that, but the way that you live matters. And so I saw an illustration a long time ago that helped me understand this, and uh, I've got this spool of string here that can help uh, some of us visual learners, right? So if, um, if we imagine that this string is your life, this string is your life. In fact, if I handed this to Jared down here and I said, Jared, don't come up here because I'm not going to give it to you. But if I gave this to you and said, I want you to take this out and walk as far as you can with it, just imagine that this string never ended, okay? This string just kept going. So he'd take this, he'd walk down to Bibleopolis and go out in the parking lot and then to his neighborhood. I mean, it just kept going and going and going. This is your life. Your life is represented by this String. Now, what if I told you that as a part of this string, this part down here, we'll just put at the very end, this part that I'm holding right here, this is your life on earth. This is, this is you now. This is your life on earth. And so there's a, there's a bunch of other string, but all of this happens after this. And that's hard to, to wrap our minds around because where we are right now, it doesn't feel like short, like some of you... I've lived a really long time. Um, and so, <laughs> try to say that nicely. Um, I'm getting old too, so it's all good. Um, but this is your life right now. And there's a whole bunch of other string in life that happens after your life right here. But the reality and the truth is this. How you live this part influences how this part is spent. Do you know that's true? How you live this part right here. This short, this small, this little piece down here influences how the rest of this plays out. The way that you live, it matters. I'm not talking about whether you pay your taxes or whether you go to church or whether you read your Bible. I'm talking about what's in your heart and how it's manifested in your life that matters. I'm not talking about following more rules, right? 
I, I grew up in a rule-following church. Maybe some of you guys can identify with that if you've, if you've uh, been to church somewhere else. I grew up in a rule-following church. It wasn't, it wasn't called the rule-following church, but um, I love my home church. I love it, and it's great, but I always felt like there was a lot of rules or a lot of expectations that I was supposed to follow. In fact, one of those was uh, I felt I always wore khaki pants. I always wore dress pants to church. If you know me, you know I hate that. I don't want, that's not me. And so I always felt like that was a rule I had to follow. In fact, we had another rule that was, it was actually a rule, I think. Uh, There's no dancing in church, right? No dancing in church. In fact, you could get married at church, and then you could have your reception at church, but guess what's not happening at that reception? Dancing, right? There's going to be no dancing. In fact, they told us, don't have sex. Don't have sex because it might lead to dancing. (laughs) Some people struggled with that. Uh, We know what it's like to follow rules. We know what it's like to follow more rules, but if you figure out Jesus, this is not what he's about. He's not about you following rules. He's about your heart and having your heart in the right place and your actions will follow. You see, Jesus calls you to give more, to love more, to serve more, to forgive forgive more. He calls you to more. He's calling you to walk his road that leads to life. But remember, only a few people are going to find it. So I have to ask you this question this morning. Do you feel like you are walking a road that only a few people have found? Do you feel like you're living a life characterized by the difficult road that only a few people will find? In 2015, the Pew Research Center did a study and and determined that there are 2.3 billion Christians in the world. It's over 31% of the world's population that identifies as a Christian. So I have to ask, how, how narrow is this road that we're talking about? Is this road just as narrow as identifying as a Christian, or is it a road that is difficult that leads to life? Church, I have to challenge you this morning with this. There are two paths, there are two roads, the way of the world and the way of Jesus. Examine the way of Jesus And don't assume that you're just on the narrow road because you call yourself a Christian. I don't say say that to be harsh because I don't know most of you in here, but I'm saying that to challenge you. Don't assume that you're on this narrow road just because you call yourself a Christian. We have to live like Jesus. One of my favorite verses is 1 John 2, 6. It says this, if we claim, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Another translation puts it like this, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. We have to follow his example. So our last point is this, if we, and we know there are two destinations, there are two paths, there's really only one choice. There is one choice. And it is a choice, like it always has been. We, we're given a choice between good and evil, life and death, his way or our way. All throughout scriptures, choices are given. In fact, let me go through a couple examples of this so you understand what I'm saying. When Moses stood before the people of Israel, right before he was going to be done leading them, he had led them for a long time, he stood up before the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and said this, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. So that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. It was a choice that Moses gave him. And Moses died and Joshua took over and Joshua led the people of Israel. And and he found himself in the same situation in Joshua chapter 24. He says this, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, 
Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. The gods of your ancestors that served before you in the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And then we get to the prophets and we find this guy named Elijah who's a prophet. And he finds himself on top of a mountain about to battle a couple hundred prophets of a, of a false god. And the people of Israel are starting to question and saying, what should we what do we do? Because you got one guy versus hundreds of people who are saying, this is God, and this is what Elijah said to him. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal is God, follow him. And then Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, was, found himself with the people of Israel. Uh, their city had been taken. They are about to face life or death, but God gives them a way out, and he says this to them. Furthermore, tell the people, this is what the Lord says. See, I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death. It's always been a choice. God's given us free will. It's always been a choice which way you are going to live. It's a decision. We face them every day. In fact, one of the decisions that I face every week that maybe you can relate to is this. Uh, I'll be in the car with my wife. It'll be around dinner time, and I'll look over, and you know, we're going to go out to eat, and I say, hey, what do you want to eat? You know what that response never is? It's never, well, I really want Olive Garden. Let's, that's where we're going, right? It's never that. You know what the response typically is? Well, I don't care. What do you want? Right? Have you been there? Has this happened in your family too? So I'm not alone? So, but here's what happens in that moment. That is not a, hey, just, yeah, whatever you want. Let's do that. It, because if I were to say, you know, well, I really want White Castle, you know, that's where we're going. That's not a choice for me. That's not a decision. I know that's not a, that's not a, that's not a, a viable choice for me. That's not how, that was not the question. The question really was this. Well, you know what I like. Just choose one of those places, right? That's, that's really the question that was being asked. And so sometimes we, we don't have a choice. And really I think this is the same thing that's happening here because although it's a choice, one of them's not really a choice. One of them is a default. One of them is the absence of choice. One of them is you not choosing the difficult road. You not choosing the narrow path that leads to life. If you don't choose that, you will find yourself on the broad road. And many people will walk it and many people will take that path. There's a choice, but there's really only one right choice you can make here. This is the culmination of the Sermon on the Mount. You have two choices, good or evil, life or death, my way or not. Are you willing to make the choice that is characterized by the difficult road? And I'm not talking about following Jesus over Muhammad. I'm talking about you choosing the way of Jesus over your will, your desires, and your dreams. It's a complete and full submission to Christ. You must enter through the narrow gate to live in the kingdom. If you're not catching what Jesus is saying, the gate, the gate is your judgment. When your story is over, when it's all said and done, the gate is going to be your judgment. But the problem is, is your, your judgment has already taken place by which road you have taken to get there. It's not a hidden road. It's not a hidden gate. It's there for all to see. It's a choice. You can't jump over it. That's not going to work either, Okay. You have to enter. In fact, that's how Jesus starts this passage. Enter through the narrow gate. That word enter is important. It's written in the aorist imperative, which means it's, a, it's an action. You're, not gonna, you're gonna, not gonna end up there by accident. You have to actively 
choose this. Jesus' way of life is the only way that leads to the gate that offers life. And you may say, that, well, that's narrow-minded. You have no idea how narrow-minded I am. This is the word of God. Men did not make this up. Jesus' way is the only way that leads to life. He says it himself in John 14, 6. I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But as the Sermon on the Mount does, he takes it a step forward. He takes everything a step forward and makes it harder, makes it more difficult in our eyes. Because he says, not only am I the only way, but my way is the only way. The narrow path is the only way. The difficult way is the only way. You have to actively pursue this life. You have to remove lust and greed and anger from your heart, not just your actions. You have to do things for the approval of God, not men. You have to be selfless. And this isn't a checklist. This is a heart issue. This is about you becoming this. And many people miss the point of following Jesus with your heart over your actions. And I think this is why Jesus says this in Luke chapter 13 as we wrap this up. He says this, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. And then you will say, we ate and we drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from. Away from me, all you evildoers. You see, you can want, you can, this is hard, you can want to enter the small gate, but unless you walk the narrow path, you're not getting in. You can want to enter the small gate, you can, uh, and everything that's a part of you say, man, I, that's what I want, but unless you walk the road that leads to that gate, he will say, I don't know where you came from. The bottom line is this, Jesus demands that we make a choice for how we live now, which will influence where we spend eternity. See, what you do today, what you choose to do matters. Are you walking this path? And if you're questioning yourself, saying, I don't, I don't really know, remember, Jesus is looking for your heart. In fact, one of my favorite verses in the Bible comes from the beginning of the story of David. And David was a man that the Bible describes a man after God's own heart. And uh, what happened in Israel's story is they asked for a king. God didn't want to give him a king, but they demanded a king. And so he gave him this man named Saul. And Saul was big and tall and handsome, and everybody followed him. And it was, it was good for a little while. Then Saul t- decided to take his own path. And he made his own decisions. He kind of went against God. And God said, yeah, you're not the king anymore. I'm going to raise someone else up to be king. And so God said, to Samuel, the prophet Samuel, I want you to go to this man named Jesse. And in his, in his house, there's going to be a son that I want you to appoint and anoint as the next king of Israel. And so Samuel goes to his house and, and he says, Jesse, I'm here to anoint a new king, one of your sons. And so Samuel uh, has, has Jesse bring out all of his sons. And the first one they brings up is Eliab. And it's his oldest son. And he's big and he's tall and he's probably handsome because that's how it all works. And Samuel looks and says, that's him. That's the next king. This is, this, is, this is who it is. And this is what God says to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height. I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. See, church, God 
God looks at your heart. The world may look at you in a lot of different ways, some good and some bad, but God knows who you truly are. He knows your soul. He knows your heart. He knows what you're all about. He knows your actions. He knows why you do those actions. And you could put on a face in front of a lot of different people and say, well, I go to church and I do this and I do that. I'm a good person, but God, and that may very well be true, but God knows your heart. He knows why you do things. And really, this is all what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Is that you can follow and you can do whatever you want. And you can live a life that looks good on the outside. But the reality is Jesus calls you to more. He calls you to be changed from the inside. And that is what God looks at. He looks at the heart. Men, the Bible says men will be judged on the desires of their heart. It's not a checklist. It's not do this and do that and make sure you go this to church this many times. It's about your heart. Are you walking the narrow road that leads to life? Make a choice today for how you will live according to the everlasting word of Jesus and walk his narrow path that leads to life. This will be the most important decision that you can make in this short amount of time. How you live matters. But more than that, where your heart is, that matters. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection that give us a hope for eternity. God, we know that there are 